and we're looking in God's Word in Matthew chapter 12. Who needs a Bible? Raise your hand. They can bring one right to you. I want you to have your own where you can look at it, read it. You can take it with you if you want to. We want people to be in God's Word because we know about Jesus because the Bible tells us so. We see this as our authority for our faith and practice. Matthew chapter 12. Turn there with me, please, in, uh, in your Bible or if you have one on, on your smartphone. And uh, Matthew 12 will be starting in verse 15. It says this, Jesus, aware of this, now, Jesus had just done a miracle. He had just healed a guy with a withered arm and, uh, in a public setting. And he's uh, trying to get the religious people to reevaluate their views. And instead, they've huddled and conspired how to destroy him, how to put Jesus to death. And so Jesus has done this irrefutable uh, miracle of goodness. And a man with his withered arm has just been healed. I mean, now he can clap with the rest of the crowd. Maybe he could even play the piano. And, uh, you know, no deeds uh, that of goodness, though, go unpunished. And so instead of applauding, the leaders are looking for a way to eliminate Jesus. So what does Jesus do? Look how Jesus responded. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all, and he ordered them not to make him known. Now, we're in this series called All In, and basically we're saying that we are joining Jesus' team, and we want to be Jesus' fully devoted followers. We pin all our hopes and our, our, our dreams on Jesus, both for now and forever. And so in this passage, Matthew focuses right on Jesus himself, what Jesus did, what Jesus said, uh, how he talked, how unique and wonderful he is, and uh, how he responds in tough situations and uh, how he is the best hope for our future. So Matthew is calling on us to put all of our hopes on Jesus. Fully devoted followers of Jesus set their hope on Jesus Christ. Everyone else, everything else will eventually let you down. So notice Jesus, hey, he's just done this miracle. I mean, it's good news, and it should have drawn huge crowds of admirers, and instead, Jesus is being criticized. So instead of fighting back, instead of yelling his claims out in the streets, Jesus quietly withdraws, and he goes about his work of mercy. So, you know, when you are dealing with conflict, you basically have three choices. You have fight, flight, or delayed response. Fight, flight, or delayed response. And notice how the people, <clears throat> how you treat people when you disagree with them. It seems that we've gotten in a day and age that has less and less civility to share. And uh, how uh, we're in that process of uh, people lifting up. Uh, attitudes that you just go, oh my goodness, if that showed up in my four-year-old, they would be on a timeout. If, if they were in kindergarten, they would be suspended from school. And um, so, you know, how people treat each other, the attitude that says they come in low, so we're going to kick them, is fight. And Jesus didn't choose to use that as his style of responding. He, he came back with flight. He just backed away. I mean, he retreated. He quietly withdraws. I mean, he healed the people who asked for healing, but he asked them, please don't tell anybody because he didn't, I mean, he was there to announce that God was coming and to get right with God and be ready to meet God. And so he could heal people and he did when they would ask him, but that wasn't his primary purpose. And he didn't need the crowds to swell just with people who were looky-loos or hoping for a miracle of their own. So Matthew is calling on us to set our hopes on Jesus as our Savior, as the one who is our leader. And you look at the, how he's leading, and I'm sure it left the disciples as well scratching their head. He's got the power. Why doesn't he fight? So I want us to look at three characteristics of Jesus that Matthew lips up in this passage today. The first is Jesus' power source. 
And this is what gave him his strength, that he had been chosen and loved by God. He is God's delight. I mean, he already had won where it mattered the most in the eyes of God. Because someday by yourself, you're going to stand before God to give an account for your life, and you want to hear God say, well done. And Jesus already could before he ever came to this earth. I mean, his power source is that he's been chosen. He's been loved by God. Look what it says in verse 18. Behold my servant whom I've chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Jesus has been chosen by God before the foundations of the world were laid. He wasn't chosen from a, a list of possible candidates. It's not like God looked around in about the year zero and said, you know, it's time we put a savior in the world. Let's see, hey, there's Mary's boy. He's a pretty good one. Why don't we choose him? It didn't happen like that. Now, as you know, unless you've been living under a rock, there has been a vacancy on the Supreme Court, and so the president had the job of nominating somebody. So he and his advisors put together a list of people, chose the one they thought would be the best for right now, nominated him uh, to be the candidate, and then it was uh, in, supposed to be approved by the Senate, which, as you know, it, it finally was. But in the process of that, wondering if it was going to happen, the president even made the comment of, well, if... if if he's not nominated, there are other qualified candidates uh, that he had. And uh, he also has the same job to do for the ambassador of the United Nations. Now, that's not how God went about picking out. He didn't pick Jesus out of a list of qualified candidates. It wasn't like if this one doesn't work out, there's another one. Right? Jesus is the one and only. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in fact, in Acts chapter 4, it says, There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men which by we must be saved. God chose Jesus because Jesus is God. And he has the qualifications. He has the power. He has the willingness. And he has God's enthusiastic endorsement. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit on him, which happened at Jesus' baptism. And he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. I mean, Jesus is chosen by God since before the world started, and he's God's beloved. God is so pleased with him. In fact, sometimes God couldn't even contain himself. You can read about Jesus' baptism in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And somebody actually this week asked me about being baptized, and they want to be baptized. And baptism is that whole picture of saying, I'm died to myself, so I'm buried in the water. I'm raised to walk a new life with Christ. And uh, sometimes we do it in the ocean. It's a little late for that this year, I think. And, but we also have a, a pool here in the, in the church where you could be baptized. So if you had a desire to do that, please note it on the blue card or turn it in or let somebody know because we're going to be having a baptism. Because baptism says, I die to myself, I live for Jesus. It means commitment. And Jesus had gone out into the wilderness and John was out there preaching repentance. Turn from your sin and repent and get right with God. And he was baptizing people. And Jesus asked him, John, please baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. And it was kind of an unusual. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 3. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, we all have a baptism, and we do every year have baptisms, and see people who have come, recently come to Christ, and this baptism is their announcement. <clears throat> We've never gone home from church and said, guess what happened at the baptism today? After the baptism, the skies opened. 
And a dove came and landed on the person who had just been baptized. And a voice from the heavens said, This is my son. He's, I'm so pleased with him. He is my beloved. It's never happened that way. Not for us. I mean, you, what you have here is a father's heart swelling with pride at a big step in his son's life. Jesus is God's beloved. He's treasured. He's precious. And this Jesus being God's beloved wasn't a new thing between God and Jesus at Jesus' baptism. The passage that we're reading today is actually quoted by Matthew from Isaiah chapter 42. The prophet Isaiah lived 700 years before Matthew. For 700 years, God had referred to Jesus as my beloved. I mean, that's close. It's significant. It's special. Over the last year or so, we've had three uh, key staff, new staff here around church. I wanted you to see their picture. I want to be sure you know them because this is Ron Klein, and he has come on as one of our associates alongside of Tandy in senior adults, and he is just phenomenal. He's been a missionary all around the world for over 30 years and uh, just, uh, just a huge blessing to all of us. And then there's Damon Cortis, and he is our new controller right alongside Drusilla in the finance office to keep us on track. He actually has been an auditor for churches. Um, uh, finances for four years so he knows it inside and out we've got a huge uh, blessing a huge ace with him coming on our team and then Eric Williams of course I mean he spoke last week and so all three of these he's our youth pastor and just we're seeing uh, well we had 75 youth in the youth gathering uh, a couple of weeks ago so uh, we're, we're beginning to see God doing great things through his leadership so all three of these are just r remarkable uh, men who God has brought to our team at this time. And I say thank God for every one of them, but never one of them have I referred to as my beloved. Right? And I said, this is my beloved. This is Pastor Ron. Right? Uh, but God does that with Jesus. I mean, I would save that for Cindy in case you were wondering. I mean, this, <laughs> my beloved, this is an unbreakable love relationship. And it's the source of Jesus' power and his strength. And uh, when he's teaching, when he's doing miracles, when he's correcting the messy theology uh, of uh, the theologians who were not open to listening or not open to change, Jesus' source of power uh, and strength, when he knew that he was being conspired against, when they were behind his back, when they were talking about how to murder him um, and how to limit his ministry, how to put him to death, Jesus' source was this love relationship that he had with his Father in heaven. I mean, everything Jesus did and said, he had this confidence that it all flows from this unswerving, unchanging love relationship. God was enthusiastically over the top. He didn't care who knew in love with Jesus. And he offers the same love relationship to you and to me. So how about us? Are you close with Jesus? Are you tight? Would you refer to him as my beloved? I mean, you've, you've heard his name. Have, 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 have you prayed to him? Would you describe it as, as a close love relationship? I mean, think about this, because it's the truth. You are as close to God today as you want to be. You're as close as you want to be. So if you say, oh, you know, God kind of seems distant. Well, then move his direction and become a fully devoted follower. Jesus' power source is this unconditional, never-ending love of God. And then his plan was to come into this world and uh, to call people to repent. And those repenters receive Jesus' tenderness and his mercy. Look at verse 19. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He's not going to make a ruckus. 
A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. Jesus just did what God wanted him to do, and then he got out of the way of those who were offended. Here he is, the creator of the universe, the Lord of glory. His name is the highest name in all of heaven and on earth. He could have demanded that they listen to him, that they respect him, because he has the power to back it up. And it ain't bragging if it's true. And it's true. In fact, in Matthew 26, as he's being arrested, he said to them, Do you think that I could not appeal to my father and he would at once send me 12 legions of angels? But instead, Jesus, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, withdrew to avoid the conflict. Do you know, sometimes that's the best course of action. We don't often think that way, but you could win by losing. In fact, in the book 1776 by David McCulloch, I don't know if you've read it, but it's the, the story of the War of Independence in America with General George Washington. And you know how they won? He ran away over and over and over. They would be set up. The, the British would show up. The colonists would be there. They were all ready for a battle in the morning. And in the morning, there was nobody to shoot at. The colonists had run away. And the British would track down, where did they go? And then they would follow them over there and get ready for another fight. And then when they're ready to fight, all of a sudden they just vaporized. They're gone. They ran away again. And they ran away over and over and over. And, uh, you know, it's not a popular strategy in our day. It's not one that people understand or are choosing to use very much in our day. But it, uh, it was a strategy that Jesus was using. Flight. To win by giving in. To win by losing. Even when he was arrested, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. So how does Jesus lead? What is Jesus like? Well, verse 19, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Jesus was full of grace and truth. And those two are in tension with each other. To be full of grace makes us want to avoid conflict and to not say anything. To be full of truth means that we would want to uh, uh, approach people or confront people who are going the wrong way about things. But Jesus is full of both, full of grace and truth. And so he kept those in tension and in balance with each other. And he didn't choose to yell or to quarrel or to wrangle or to argue or to get in people's faces or to cold cock them with the truth, even though he was all about speaking the truth in love. Instead, verse 20, it says, A breezed rude, bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. Now, I don't know if you ever tried to grow flowers. Cindy gave, somebody gave Cindy a couple of, of bulbs. It, it turned out to be amaryllis, and it only sends, it sends up a shoot about a foot tall and then a flower about once a year. And so you can imagine how much joy there would be when a flower is starting to come up. Well, you know, after some rough housing in the house, maybe the plant got knocked over or something. So all of a sudden there, this stem is growing up and before it's a foot tall, all of a sudden it's got an elbow, you know, and it's, it's leaning over and, well, our tendency would be to just snip it off and say, sorry, try again next year, right? But, I mean, you ever feel like that? You're doing great things in your life, and maybe you've taken a big step forward towards God, and then through some rough handling, uh, caused your efforts to be bruised. Suddenly, your flower is dangling over here on the side, you know, looking at you sideways. 
Well, Jesus loves you, and this says he's, he's not going to break a bruised reed. Reeds were used for weaving and for, uh, for various things, and there were lots of them. So if you got one that was bruised or kinked, you just throw it aside and take a different one. Jesus is saying here he's not going to do that with you and with me. And he loves you. He's not going to cut you off the knees when you've had a breaking experience. A bruised reed he will not break. He knows how you feel. He can relate. So don't despair. Don't give up on following Jesus if you haven't done it perfectly or if things haven't all worked out uh, your way. He also says a smoldering wick he will not quench. Now, I think this is the second way of saying the same little thing. It's kind of like the little song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm going to let it shine this little light, I'm going to let, you know, but what if your little light isn't doing all that well? What if you feel like it got blown out and you've seen like with a candle and it's still, it's smoldering? That's what it says here, a smoldering wick. He will not quench. In fact, Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. This picture of having a candle, maybe the gust of the wind of the world blew it out and the flame isn't even visible anymore. It's just smoldering. Well, where there's smoke, there's fire. And Matthew is telling us how Jesus dealt with people who have their heart in the right place, who wanted to follow God's will. They wanted to follow God's way, but maybe they've had some hard knocks or the, their life has uh, uh, taken a wrong turn or the stem of their life somehow has gotten busted before they could fully flower or their flame got snuffed out or they're running out of fuel. Jesus is not condemning. He's understanding. He's comforting. He's patient. He knows what it feels like. He's sympathetic. Take comfort. Jesus loves you. He's got a lot better plan. You know, everybody knows John 3, 16. For God so loves the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But John 17 follows right behind it, which says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus isn't looking to condemn you. He's looking to save you. He's wanting to encourage us and to pick us up one more time than we fall down. And this might challenge our primary view of God if we think, well, we're his children and God is this uh, irritated or upset father who's looking to catch us doing something wrong. No, he's looking to catch you doing something right. He loves you. He's there to catch you when you stumble. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench. You know, in a group this size, there's bound to be at least one person who's feeling discouraged today, and maybe with good reason, thinking, man, I have loved Jesus, I have prayed, and things have gotten worse. And I try to be a witness, but I'm not all that impressive for one, and I, I crinkle, uh, at least inside, when I'm ridiculed for two, and, and my light isn't very bright. And that's where Pastor Paul would say to a younger Pastor Timothy when he wrote him a letter, he said, for this reason I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God that's in you through the laying out of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. That is Jesus' plan with repenters. Compassion, restoration, and fan into flame the gift that God has given you. So if you feel like yours is just kind of smoldering, Fan it into flame today. Now, that's not Jesus' plan with the self-assured, with the scoffers, with the arrogant. He had a different plan for them. In fact, Jesus tells numerous stories, like in Luke 18, where two men went to the temple to pray. 
One is a Pharisee who would have been known and respected, and the other is a tax collector who would have been known and hated. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Well, he's pretty impressed with himself, and he wants God to be impressed too. And then Jesus said, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And then there was another time, it's recorded several times in the Bible because it was an impressive person. It's in Matthew 19, talks about a rich young ruler. He was wealthy, he was youthful, he was powerful. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. And he said, I've done it. And Jesus doesn't uh, dispute that. In fact, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then he said, well, do this. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And the man left feeling very sad. You know why? Because he liked Jesus a lot. But he loved this world's wealth and its power more. Now here are 2,000 years later. What do, you think today? what do you think he thinks today? Did he make the right choice to choose the fleeting things this world can offer for a moment over knowing and walking and loving Jesus forever? Jesus said it's hard for a rich person a self-made person, a self-confident person to enter into heaven. Jesus was calling people to repent, to turn and walk the Jesus way. And you don't, you won't, you can't get into heaven on your own merits, on your own strengths. That's the truth. And it isn't loving and it isn't like Christ to bless people in their sin and in their wrong thinking. You know, this world is concerned with image, looking good, not being good, looking good. Jesus is concerned with people being righteous, being good, being right with God. There was a lady at church here a while ago. She was uh, dying of cancer, and she would come to church through great effort. And I was talking with her one day, and somebody came by and said, well, good morning. You look so great today. And as they walked away, she said, you know, the sicker I get, the more people tell me, you look so great today. She said, I'm dying, I'm going to heaven. Nobody seems to want to admit that. And I'm going to get to see our Savior. But they keep saying, oh, you look so great, you look so good. Jesus' plan is justice for the self-righteous. And it's mercy for the repenters. And we need his mercy. So let's be the kind of followers who are fully devoted to Jesus, that we're sorry and we ask for his forgiveness for our sin, that we, when we have breaking experiences, we trust Jesus to pull us through. And when we speak the truth in love, we offer hope in Jesus. See, this we know for sure. Jesus' purpose in this world will be completed with success. Jesus is going to win in the end. We know that. It will be through a struggle. But look what it says. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and in, the name, in his name the Gentiles will hope. Now Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience. <clears throat> and so this would have really rubbed them the wrong way or caused them to sit up and say, what's he talking about? 
We think we're God's special people and all of God's blessings are for us. And it says right here, in fact, he's quoting from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, in the, his name, the Gentiles will hope. We read that and we think, well, pray, yeah, that's the way it's supposed to work. Praise God, since most of us are Gentiles. But Jesus came into this world with a very specific purpose, to seek and to save the lost, Jewish lost, Gentiles lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. Matthew and Isaiah before him said it this way, to bring justice to victory. And Jesus came to fulfill his purpose, and it cost him a great deal. He had to leave his home in heaven. He took ridicule and rejection for sharing the truth, and he died on the cross for the sin of the world. And his work is not complete. Because there are still wicked people in this world who prosper. And there are broken, repentant people being bruised and crushed. But God has promised. So stay patient. Because God always keeps his promises. So keep your eyes on Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed, but see this good news is for people who are Jewish and for Gentiles. The insiders and the outsiders. They, there is hope only in the name of Jesus. And so as fully devoted followers of Jesus, that's why we cling to Jesus. When we take ridicule, when we take rejection because of his name, when we have been stepped on or broken or blown over, when we're not on the in crowd, when we still want to see right and justice prevail, Jesus will prevail. In fact, it says in Philippians that God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. So you might as well be one of those who does it voluntarily of your own volition under your own power, to bow before Jesus to say, you are the Lord of glory. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my sin and my brokenness and my shortcomings and my hopes and dreams. I give you my all. Go all in for Jesus because he's our only hope. Shall we pray? Dear Jesus, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for coming into this world to offer us forgiveness and wholeness Thank you that you would claim us as your own if we just open our life and invite you in. And I pray that each person here has done that and has said, Jesus, I need you as my Savior and my Lord. May we go all in for you and follow you with our whole lives. Amen.